Well, I want to dive into our message this morning that is continuing on in our series called Waypoints. Uh, I truly marvel at the timing of this series and the miracles that we're looking at, given the current circumstances that we're in. Um, If you've been with us the past several weeks, you know that we've been walking through the book of John. And the book of John is a biography that was written by one of Jesus's disciples named John. And one of the unique features of that particular biography is that John highlights seven specific miracles that he links together, leading us to a particular place where we can draw conclusions about who Jesus is. And so for the past several weeks, we've been taking time to look at each one of those miracles and unpack certain dynamics of what those things mean about who Jesus is, about who we are as individuals, but then also what we do together collectively as a church. And so um, as we engage in this, uh, it's really been fascinating because it's showing us things that I think are incredibly relevant to this place and time that we're in here in our current situation. And today we're going to dive into that. Now, before I actually dive into this particular miracle, I also want to mention that one of the resources that we've developed leading into Easter is this prayer and devotional guide that's going to lead you through a time of fasting and prayer. It's a beautiful, um, beautiful resource for you that's available. You can um, actually download it online. You can get a physical copy here at the church offices. You can swing by during the week. We're going to have those available. In fact, um, you can take several and provide them for friends and family members. I want to encourage you to do that. And the reason I mention this is that this particular devotional is actually highlighting a lot of the things that we're skipping in the book of John. So we're looking at the miracles, but then there's conversations and dialogue that's taking place that's also leading us to a conclusion. And in this guide, you're going to get an opportunity to follow along and hear some of the things that have happened between the Sundays that we've been talking about. And so I want to encourage you to check that out. Now, this week we are looking at the fourth miracle and it's found in John chapter six. So if you have a Bible or device, uh, without turning me off on your device, I'd like you to turn to John chapter six. And as you're turning there, I want to mention that this miracle that we're looking at today, for those of you who have grown up around church, if you've been around uh, the, the Sunday school scene, if you spend any time in kids ministry, you've probably heard this story. You're probably very familiar with this miracle. But in spite of your familiarity with this one, I think there's a poignancy during this societal moment that we find ourselves in right now that, that you're going to find very interesting. Um, So if if that's you, I want to encourage you just to stay dialed into this. And then secondly, if you're not a church person, if uh, if you didn't grow up hearing Bible stories, if you weren't around the church, maybe even now you don't attend, but you're just sort of curious and you're exploring faith, this story is actually filled with information that's going to inform you about who Jesus really is. And so um, if that's you, uh, you're going to get an understanding of what Jesus is truly inviting you into and what you can expect from him as you discover this. So with that, I just want us to dive into John chapter 6. We're going to start reading in verse 1. One, this is what it says, John chapter 6. It says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Now, I'm going to pause here just for a moment and say that I want you to notice why the crowd was following him. It says they followed him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. And so really clearly up front, we see that the people are coming to Jesus because of what Jesus can do for them. Somebody is sick and they get healed. Um, Others start hearing about this news and they think, okay, if that's what Jesus is in the business of, then if I have an ailment or someone I love has it, then I'm going to take that to Jesus. And so they they just begin to follow him. And and so verse three, we discover this. It says, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples and the Jewish Passover festival was near. Um, I think this is a good side note 
to, to mention and a good time to mention that the, Jesus, if you notice this, uh, he isn't teaching in a temple. There's no official facility. He hasn't rented an auditorium. Um, he's just out there. He's out in the wilderness. He's out on a hillside someplace um, and sort of meeting people where they are. Uh, as, I, as I prepared this message, I couldn't help but think about what we're doing right now. And we're just sort of out there. We're just hearing from Jesus uh, wherever we happen to be. But the bigger point is what he says in verse four. John says, really important detail as you begin to see some things that play out in this text. The Passover is near. The Passover for Jewish people is a very significant religious festival. Uh, And uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to talk about why that little detail that he includes is so significant. So verse five, he goes on. It says, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? I asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. So I just want you to imagine the picture that there's this crowd that's following him, and he looks up and he sees all these people. And and it sounds from the story that Jesus has sort of collected himself with his disciples, but there's this massive larger group of disciples, sort of another tier or layer of disciples that are now coming after him. Jesus sees them, and he, he sees this opportunity to to do something, to teach his disciples. Uh, I, I don't believe that Jesus was really drawing people out there so that he could feed them. I think Jesus sees the crowd and realizes there's an opportunity to show these people who I really am. In fact, um, Jesus in this moment, I, I love this because it says that he decides to, to test Philip. He decides to test him and say, where should we get food to feed these people? And Jesus is going to create clarity around who he is. If you wonder who he is, Jesus is going to take this moment to make it clear. And so in verse 7, it says, Philip answered him, well, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one of these people to have a bite. So you can just sort of imagine the casual nature of this, that Jesus says, hey, man, where are we going to feed these people? What are we going to do about this? And Philip says, are you kidding me? Like, how in the world would we ever do this? Like, there's no way. Are you out of your mind? Like, we can't feed these people. It's interesting because in verse 8, apparently Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was standing nearby, and it says this. It says, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go with so many? Um, You got to give Andrew credit. At least he's trying in this moment. He's like, well, if Philip doesn't have an answer, maybe we could do something with this. But then he just sort of recognizes, like, here's something, but this something is really nothing. So verse 10, he goes on and it says that Jesus said, well, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. So everyone eats. And then we read this. When they had, had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. So this is so unbelievable. We have to understand this is, the, this is sort of the critical moment of the miracle that there are, there are leftovers. So, so first of all, there was no food. Then there was a little bit of food. And then this little bit of food is providing um, sustenance for all of these people. And then when they're done being sustained, there's actually leftovers. They had 12 baskets of barley loaves left over. Now, I also want you to notice something else that's really strange. The boy, um, the boy had two things in his possession. He had fish and he had barley loaves. 
What's interesting is that they aren't collecting leftover fish. They're just simply collecting leftover barley loaves. So there is all of this bread that is left over. This is a really significant thing for us to tune into. Hungry people were fed with bread, and there was bread that was left over in abundance to the point that they gathered it in baskets. So so we might just think at, at first glance, well, this is just some sort of neat trick for these people. But this actually meant something for these individuals. See, these are Hebrews, and, and Hebrews, they hold on to their history. And when the Hebrews think about their history, bread had a very significant part of the Hebrew storyline. In fact, um, if you remember back to the top, I said earlier that John points out this little detail that when Jesus goes up on this mountaintop, it's near the time of the Passover. Well, well the Passover, that particular feast was a constant reminder of God's provision for the people during their wanderings in the wilderness, that generations before there were these people that had escaped from Egypt and slavery there. And then while they were wandering in the desert, there was this magical, mysterious provision, if you will, from God, where they would wake up in the morning and there was bread on the ground. There was, there was manna from heaven. It was God's provision. So near the Passover time, Jesus goes up on a hill and he produces bread in the wilderness to hungry, desperate people. Jesus produces bread. There is this intentional connection that John is trying to make us connect with. He's trying to get us to understand this, that that someplace in all of this, Jesus is trying to point out, I am providing in a way that you and your history have seen provided for in the the past. I'm doing something that you can connect with who you are as a people. So, So let's keep reading. Verse 14, it says, after the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is a prophet who came into the world. And, and, and of, course, of course they would say that, right? They hear this, they say, well, we've been recipients of this amazing miracle. Like there's been this amazing thing that's happened. This bread has been provided. Jesus has done this right in front of them and they benefited from it. They actually got to eat the bread. But I want you to look at the response of Jesus because it reveals that it wasn't about the bread and it wasn't about the crowd and it wasn't about the feeding Um, Jesus says something really interesting and his response says it all. Verse 15, he says, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, he withdrew again to a mountain by himself. So Jesus performs this miracle and there's this amazing response to him and Jesus disappears into the distance, which pretty quickly means that Jesus wasn't trying to leverage this for some political gain. He wasn't trying to be popular. Jesus withdraws into the mountains to be alone, to get away. Now, if you keep reading in this story, um, it actually connects to some things that happen a little bit later, and I want to get there. But in in verse 16, um, and from verses 16 to 21, Jesus sends his disciples across the sea. He decides to, to send his closest disciples, the 12, to this other place without him. And then he decides, while I'm going to go off and spend some time alone, um, I'll meet you in this other place. So a little later in the book of John, in, in this same chapter, in verse 24, we read this. It says, once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and they went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. So this crowd has been fed by Jesus and they look around, they realize Jesus has left, um, slipped out of the crowd into the wilderness. They look around and they realize, well, let's go find him. So they go searching for Jesus because of what he's done, because of, because of who he is. And so it says in verse 25, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? So 
Uh, the story that we're going to look at next week is actually really interesting because it tells the story of when and how he got where they find him. But they're dumbfounded. Like, when or how? Like, where, where did you get to this other place? Like, we didn't know when you disappeared. We didn't know how to find you. And, and Jesus, on the other hand, I think we have to understand the humanity of Jesus. I really believe in this moment, Jesus is saying, like, you people are relentless. Like, you follow me into the wilderness. I feed you all this food. I disappear for a while. I cross the other side of the sea, and still you find me. Like, I just... I just need to be alone. Um, if you are an introvert, you know how Jesus feels in this moment. In fact, if you're an introvert, you're probably appreciating being sequestered in your home right now. But that's a whole other conversation. But what Jesus is about to say in this next moment as these people find him, it has implications on us personally. Why, why have we come to Jesus? Um, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in the second waypoint, the second miracle but this also has implications on who we are publicly and what we do and, and what we do specifically as a church. So, so there's some surprising revelations here. I just want to read in verse 26. After they find him, it says that Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. In other words, what Jesus is saying in this moment is, you're coming to me, and the reason that you're, that you're following me and pursuing me is because you ate. You ate loaves of barley, and it was good, and you got full. You got what you wanted, and you had an immediate need, and that immediate need got met. And Jesus basically just says, that's, I just want to make it clear, that's why you're coming and looking for me. You're not looking for me because you love me. You're not looking for me because you worship me. You're looking for me because the last time you found me, I gave you what you wanted. Now, we all do this. All of us in our nature will come to Jesus because we want him to do what we want him to do. And when someone does something for us and we agree with it or we like it or we benefit from it, there's something in our human nature that says, well, I'm going to be that person's biggest fan. Whether that's in work, whether that's in school, whether it's politically, whether it's in a friendship, whatever it is, if somebody does something kind for us, somebody gives us something that we want, there's this thing inside of us that says, well, I want to be around that person more. There's something that draws us in. We, when we benefit personally, we really love the benefactor of, of whoever that person is, the benefactor who gave us that thing. And what Jesus is saying is that that's what we will do with him. You come to me and you come to me because I just, I fed you and you just wanted to be fed, but you don't understand who I really am. We will come to Jesus because we want our belly full, whether that's personally or physically, whatever it is. So, so when Jesus says this, when he says, you're seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill, what, what, he's, what he's saying is, this is pretty shallow of you. Like, do you not see what was happening in the sign? Do you not see what I was actually trying to communicate? You see the bread, but beneath the surface, there's something else. So, so what Jesus then reveals speaks specifically to, I believe, to the moment that we find ourselves in right now. Like, I don't want to minimize what's happening right now in our culture. Um, in fact, I think this is a very critical time in recent history, and there are so many things that are happening. I think this is a, a, a specific cultural moment that is, that is very important for us to take hold of and recognize what's going on. Um, in fact, um, the other night I went to the store, and uh, ironically, given this story, um, I walked down one aisle of the grocery store and there was no bread. 
And I just was thinking about this text and it just seemed sort of ironic to me that just a couple of days ago, I'm in the store and there's zero bread. It is completely out. Um, by the way, along with toilet paper, along with hand sanitizer, along with any sort of soap that has any bacterial uh, elements to it, along with beans, along with rice and a few other things. And so I actually was um, taking pictures and sending the pictures to my wife and just saying, I, I can't believe this. Look at it. Like everyone's bought everything out of the store, all of this, all of this different stuff. And the panic of people, as I'm just wandering through the grocery store, by the way, it was late at night, and so there was just me and a couple of other people. I've discovered that's the time to, to go to a store during this season. Um, as I'm looking at all of these shelves, it was like the panic of humanity was staring me back in the face. Looking at the empty shelves, I just saw humanity's panic. All I could see was the fear. That's all I could think of. Like The fact that people would come in and buy all of it just shows the level of fear that people have. Um, the stock market's volatility right now, the fact that many of us have lost unbelievable amounts of money out of our retirement accounts. There's a panic that rises in this. Our health is at risk and people panic. All I can see around us in this particular moment is fear and panic. There's all of these indicators that things are slipping out of our control. What we thought we could count on, we, we somehow can't count on. And, and the level of panic and the height of our fear actually reveals a dysfunction in our faith. In fact, look at what Jesus says next. In, in verse 27, Jesus continues on, and I think this speaks exactly to this moment we find ourselves in. Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. In other words, Jesus says, this isn't about the bread. This isn't about your belly. It's not about you being fed right now. In this moment, it is far bigger than that. What is happening and what you're feeling and what you're seeing and what's going on in your life is so much more than you just getting a loaf of bread. In fact, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, I didn't come to fill your bellies. I didn't come to make sure that when you showed up at the grocery store, there were provisions there. And if there's not, you're going to be angry with me. He says, I came for something greater. I came for something that's more satisfying and something that you can actually depend on. And these people are stuck on the bread. Look at how they respond. Verse 31. They say, our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. And so they're starting to make the connection between what Jesus provided and what they've experienced. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And then Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. So Jesus says, I know you're fixated on the bread, but let me tell you, I didn't come to give you bread. In fact, what I'm about to say, let me just say this. What I'm about to say sounds so simplistic and it sounds so corny. Until you don't have bread or until you don't have toilet paper or until you don't have hand sanitizer or until you don't have money or until you don't have your health, this sounds simplistic until you're in one of those moments or maybe the moment that we find ourselves in right now. Jesus did not come so that you would have bread. Jesus came so that you would have life. Jesus came so that you would have life. He didn't come to give us what our appetites desired. He didn't come to just meet our basic human needs. He came that we would have life. And he actually tells us what kind of life that is. He says that you would have life to the full, the fullness of life. So I, I can't help but um, 
but laugh when I see how the people respond to this. Because in verse 34, it says, Sir, always give us this bread. (laughs) So they hear this and they're like, if there's bread like this, we want this kind of bread. If you've got some other kind of bread, like we've been eating barley, but you've got sourdough. Like that's amazing. And so they want this, right? They'll say, I'll take whatever you have to give me. And, and, and so they say this to Jesus and basically what they're doing is they're asking for the truth. Like they ask for it, they want what's real. And so Jesus over the next several verses offers them what's real in this. In verse 35, it says, Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. You want bread? You want this other thing that I'm talking about? Well, that's me. He says, I'm the bread of life and whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Like you really want to be satisfied? You really want, to not panic? You really want to experience a time of peace when everybody else is in a time of fear? You really want to have joy when everybody else is mourning? You really want this? You really want to know life? You you want to have that bread that actually satisfies you, that never goes away and you can actually count on it? He goes, actually, that's me. That's me. I'm the one thing. I'm the one person who can actually sustain you no matter what's happening in your external circumstances. I am the greatest provision of sustenance that you've ever had. That's what Jesus says. If you come to me, you won't hunger, you won't fear, you won't panic when you go to the grocery store and there's no toilet paper because there's something else that you are basing your life upon. Now, for for those of you who are Christ followers and you're watching this, um, you know, you've come to Jesus And certainly you've been hungry at times and he's fed you. Um, But since you've come to him, do you ever get hungry physically? Do you ever get thirsty physically? Of course you do. So what is Jesus talking about? What Jesus is talking about is the difference between surviving and living. When Jesus is talking about life, he's not talking about survival. He's saying, I'm going to give you something that allows you to live. There's surviving and then there's living. The bread that you and I eat, the things that we physically ingest, that just sort of helps us survive. That's all that is. That's just survival. But the kind of bread that Jesus is offering, that's what makes us live. So people come to Jesus for all sorts of things and for all kinds of reasons. And Jesus provides and Jesus heals and Jesus answers prayers and he feeds. He does all of these things. But you know what's true about this stuff? None of that stuff ultimately satisfies you. It never will. You you can get healed. You can have prayers answered. You can experience all of your wildest dreams and you're still going to get hungry again. And you'll keep coming back to Jesus, asking him for more bread, just like these people. You'll track him down and say, I need something else. Give me another fix. Satisfy this desire that I have. You will follow him around the lake and up the mountain so that he can give you what you want. And he may, he may do that. But if that's all you're looking to Jesus for, eventually you will still be hungry. The appetite won't go away and you will never be satisfied. He he can give you the best marriage and yet there's going to be a day when you're going to wake up and you're going to be dissatisfied in your marriage or maybe lustful for another person. He can provide the nicest home and a good running car. And yet someday the car is too small or it isn't fast enough or shiny enough or the house isn't big enough or doesn't have the right appliances. You can have all of those different things. You can land the perfect job and somehow that job never satisfies what's going on inside of your heart. You can get all the toilet paper at the grocery store today. 
And somehow having all the toilet paper in the world won't make you feel any more secure in the middle of a societal crisis. Why? Because none of those things were created to provide the deep satisfaction that only Jesus can provide. He created these things. He created marriage. He created jobs. He created food that we can enjoy. All of these things are a part of his creation. But what Jesus is trying to tell us is you will never be satisfied with just bread. That's never going to be enough. I am the bread of life, he says. It's me, not not my stuff, not the things I've created for you to, to sustain yourselves on. It's me. The only thing that can satisfy you deeply is me. Listen to what he says just a little bit later. In verse 48, Jesus goes on and he says, I am the bread of life. So he says this again, I am the bread. Remember the provision in the wilderness when you were wandering and didn't know where to go? Well, you're back there again. And guess what? I am the provision. He says, your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and yet they died. But there is a bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh which I give for the life of the world. So the crowd had come for bread and healing and signs. And Jesus says, I'm not offering you any of that, but I will offer you life. And and in case you're not sure they understood, um, a little further down in the story, people respond to Jesus. And I think this is a really interesting moment. Jesus says to them, I know you came here for bread. I know you came here for the things that you think you need to give you security and peace and hope in this life. But I'm what provides that. And I'm offering myself to you. That's what Jesus says. He says, listen, it's in me. And I'm going to give you what you're really looking for, but you have to find it in me. And then it says in verse 60, that on hearing this, Many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Why is this hard? Why is this difficult to listen to? Because what Jesus is revealing is that there are two levels or two planes that we live on. And one is very shallow. It's very superficial. It's about the here. It's about the now. It's about the provision that's right in front of you. It's about full full shelves in the grocery store. That's what it's about. It's about our desires. It's about our emotions. It's about our appetites. It's about what we want to make us feel good in this particular moment. And then what Jesus says is there's this completely other level and it is tough to get to. It is difficult to enter into, but it is far more meaningful and far more rich and far more wonderful. It's far more prepared to deal with the circumstances of life, the ups and downs and the hardships and the chaos. There is this other level that is deeper, but getting there isn't easy. In fact, let me just say this, that that we spend most of our time looking to have our immediate needs met by Jesus rather than finding that our ultimate need is met in Jesus. That's it. That's what Jesus is trying to tell us. You want me to meet these immediate needs, but I want to meet your ultimate need. I want to solve that ultimate thing that's inside of you. I want to solve this deeper crisis that's taking place. So, so our fear, our hunger, our panic, all of that stuff that you and I might be experiencing right now, which by the way, um, I'm having my moments too. But all of that 
is simply a warning light. It's a flag being raised that says there's something going on. There's something broken. And it's it's just telling us, all of this is telling us what the gospel is always telling us. And that is that we are broken people. There is this fundamental problem inside of us. We will always be hungry because we will always be broken. And it isn't until we admit our brokenness. It isn't until we admit our frailty and our need for this ultimate need to be met, not in superficiality, but in Jesus. It's only then that we'll ever be truly satisfied. And this, according to John, is hard to hear, which is why we read this. In verse 66, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer followed him. So we've been talking about these miracles, you know, they've been building. There was the wedding at Cana where there was this group of friends and family and there's this neat moment where Jesus provides wine. And then then there's this individual whose family is impacted because Jesus heals his son from a distance. And, And we see this this thing beginning to take shape. And then last week, we look at this this miracle that takes place in public view, and it sort of stirs up a controversy, and people begin to hear who Jesus is claiming to be. But then in this miracle, there's this moment in John chapter 6, where it says, literally, after he's done these things and provided this bread and told them what he's really all about, that literally it says, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Like when they realized that Jesus wasn't just here to be their genie, they couldn't follow him anymore. When they realized that they might follow Jesus and still suffer, they didn't follow him anymore. When they realized that they might not get everything they want, that Jesus might not just answer every prayer they prayed, they couldn't follow him anymore because it wasn't about him, it was about them. And so they walked away. They couldn't get past the immediacy of what they wanted and find this rich, deep, beautiful, joy-filled life that Jesus has. So there's this really, um, this really powerful moment. For those of you that are, that are Jesus followers, um, this might be more powerful for you. There's this powerful moment where Jesus turns to the 12 because when he talks about disciples, there's all sorts of, there's hundreds and hundreds that are calling themselves disciples of Jesus. But then there's the 12, these intimate friends of him, of his. He turns to the 12 in the next verse after it says that people turn their back and Jesus looks at the 12 and says this, you do not want to leave too, do you? Like you want to go with them? In fact, some translations sort of translate it that way. Like Jesus looks at them and goes, so how about you guys? You, you want to go too? And then kind of looks around at all of them and says, are, are you going to leave? Do you want to follow them? Is that why you came to me? And I love what happens next. Simon Peter, which if you've ever read the Bible, you know Simon Peter is usually the one to speak up and say something outlandish or really step into a moment, rise to an occasion. And I love that he rises in this occasion. And Simon Peter sort of looks at the empty grocery store shelves He turns on the news and he sees the panic and the frustration. He listens to people and all their chaos. He watches as the people walk away. And Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Peter says it all. It isn't about this stuff. It's about you. He finally sees it. He's like, no, no, no. It's, 
It's about you. It's your presence. It's being with you. It's, it's your vision for humanity. It's, it's your purposes for my life. It's you, you. When, when I find myself in you, when I discover what you have for my life, when I, when I follow your instruction for my life, that actually just in you is where I'm going to find everything that I'm looking for. It's what you're doing in me, not what you're doing for me that Peter recognizes. So my question for you um, this week, and by the way, I don't know what this next week holds for us. As you watch this, um, the reality is that the next few days, all sorts of things could happen in our world. But the question I want to ask you is this, what does Jesus want to do in you? What does he want to do in you? Because this, all of this stuff that you and I feel, it is all about Jesus. It is all about him. And these waypoints are leading us to a place of drawing conclusions. Will we sort of stay in the shallows on the surface of what this life is about, or will we enter into the depths of knowing Jesus Christ? And so with that, I want to pray. So if you join me right now, I want to offer this to you. Lord Jesus, may we be individuals who when faced with a decision about whether or not we will walk away from you and, and continue to live in the shallows or walk towards you and enter into the depths of life with you. Lord, may we be people, men and women who choose the depths. May we be the kind of people that in the middle of chaos and fear in our culture, may we be like anchors who are grounded and rooted and connected to you because we have this life that you speak of. Lord, may we be the kind of people who offer truth and hope, and joy, and peace to a watching world. Lord, may we be a church that serves and cares deeply for the people around us. I ask in your name. Amen. This week, uh, I'm going to be coming to you in a couple of different formats and uh, be looking for our team to send you emails. If you haven't signed up for emails, please contact us and we'll contact you with various things to help you develop community and to connect with what's going on at B4 over the next four weeks. We'll see you guys soon.